0: Yes, we are back. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is August 22nd, 2022. Beautiful Monday morning here in Southern California. And, uh, you know, normally I say that. And then, like I've said before, it may not be Monday, right? There are times when I record the week before, there are times I record on the weekend. But crazy enough, today is actually Monday morning. August 22 2022 and it's 7 a.m. Um, got a late start this week um, but it's been a good week right I've, we've had the, the girls home for the summer home from college and uh, this is a big week because it's it was the last full week of them being home. so after I finish up this recording we are actually taking our our oldest back to school um, helping her move into an apartment. And so it'll be one down, one to go. And I mean, we're just rushing, rushing back into the school year. So yeah, that is what we're doing today. Um, Let's dive into our minute of transparency. So as you know, we've kind of gone through round one and round two of my personal deconstruction story. Um, So just to get you caught up to speed, uh, round one, right? was that was the deconstructing of some of the basic things my parents taught me about life in general, right? And then also deconstructing some of my traditional beliefs that I was taught um, as I was part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Moved into a non-denominational church, and I think I summarized it as I did this move from me to we. Then Round two of my deconstruction journey really involved big church, right? Mega churches. So I was in this non-denominational church, working for the church, attending the church, but really getting to see behind the scenes that there's a real business strategy that goes on behind these large churches. Less religious, less spiritual, and just more um, business strategy. Now, it's a tried and true formula, right? and has great potential for growth these days. But what I was learning was that this growth comes at what expense, right? There there tends to be trampled bodies left in the wake of these churches, both attendees and staff members caught up in this narcissistic juggernaut that happens. So round 3, right? Today's round 3 of my deconstruction journey. And It's not something that I'm going to talk about as happening in the past because it's really the piece that's going on each and every day right now. It's the current thing. It's the reactionary thing. It involves opposing viewpoints, conspiracy theories, fake news, and it has not been fun. Let me just tell you because I can feel at times like I'm locked in this washing machine with the spin cycle on repeat. There's just so much information flying at you all the time, and it's moving so fast that there just isn't time to truly process it all. I would say that round three started in 2021 with COVID in full swing uh, after the election fallout, the January 6th insurrection, and it's really just been all downhill since then. Okay, that's not true. That sounds really bleak. It keeps moving forward relentlessly with what's happening in the news. But I've personally had some amazing days, right? We've had some amazing days as a family this summer. Our kids are headed back, like I said. Uh, Work's been good. But, and there's always a but. Why does there always have to be a but? I think the simple explanation is this. Life is just different. Most people want to blame it on COVID, right? I often do, just because it's funny, and it makes my wife roll her eyes every time I say it. I can still remember people whining during the pandemic. Why can't we go just, just go back to normal? I just want everything to go back to normal again. And I think we all agreed at some point that this is just the way it is. It's not an option. So instead of going back to the way it was, we just renamed the future. We called it the new normal, right? Which ultimately means that things have changed and they will never go back to the way they were. So what does this have to do with round three of my deconstruction? and what is actually being deconstructed i'm glad you asked at this point i feel like i am deconstructing my culture the culture that i grew up in america the united states land of the free home of the brave all that kind of stuff round 1 and round 2 were highly focused on spirituality religious beliefs but round 3 is more cultural societal political i'm starting to see that i'm a product of indoctrination In school, we were taught what the government wanted us to learn, right? I'm not just talking in terms of reading and writing and arithmetic. They wanted us to view the United States as this amazing country that is way better than every other country, and that we alone hold hold this moral high line. uh, And thus, we should be exporting our way of life to the entire world. But this begins to erode when you learn the truth about our country, when you start to see the dark past and that things that you are taught in school aren't always true. And that leads us to our topic today, Transcendent Deconstruction Part 3, Culture, Politics, and Religion. We're going to walk through three things today. The first, separation of church and state. The second, our dark history. And the third, failing to learn from the past. Number one, separation of church and state. Now, a little caveat before we dive in today. On the surface, this episode might not seem to have a lot to do with deconstruction. It might feel a little bit out of place in this transcendent deconstruction series, but don't worry, it all comes full circle. Uh, We need to take this little detour in order to understand the deconstruction movement that we're seeing in the country because it's more than just people questioning, doubting, or rebelling against their religious beliefs in some way, the religious beliefs that they were taught as a child. In fact, people's religious beliefs are highly tied to culture, and unfortunately, to politics. So this week, we set the stage by looking at how they're all connected. Now, in the title of this episode, I specifically mentioned three things, culture, politics, and religion. Now, in my upbringing the three worked together like this. Culture was the umbrella, and under that umbrella, there were the two other elements, politics and religion. And in my family, these two things were kept very separate. I was aware of the fact that politics existed, but we rarely talked about it. In our family, religion took center stage. So you could describe my upbringing like this. The culture I grew up in was highly filled with religious ideology. Maybe for you it was different. Maybe the culture you grew up in was filled with political ideology, but no religious. Or for some, the culture you grew up in was devoid of any religious or political ideology. Or, still others, the culture you grew up in was both highly religious and highly politically charged. But in each of these scenarios, the two things are true. First, politics and religion existed in both, even if they weren't important to your family. And number two, there is a relationship between the two, one that is becoming increasingly more important. Ever since the 2020 election, the January 6th insurrection, and the overturn of Roe v. Wade, along with growing political polarization, these two ideologies have become front and center. Politics, because at this point in time everything seems political, And religion, because one of the political parties has claimed religion for themselves. And they're weaving this religion right into their political platform. And this is really where we're going in this section, right? Because it's a topic that I think we're being forced to think about these days all the time. When you think about politics and religion, if you're like me, the first thing that comes to your mind is that you're not supposed to talk about them. Either one, right? Especially at family gatherings, because they are a powder keg when it comes to topics. And nothing kills a good family barbecue like Uncle Bob ripping on Aunt Betty because she voted for the other guy. But in this day and age, it's getting harder and harder for these conversations to be avoided. People are coming out of the woodwork on both sides. The extremes are getting more extreme. And even for those of us somewhere in the middle, it's been really hard not to hear the rhetoric and hard not to be triggered by some of the things being said. And my hypothesis is this. Because both politics and religion factor into this new polarization, it's blowing it up even more. It's one thing to witness traditional political posturing, right? Uh, People not working together across the aisle. But then you throw in the flammable religious beliefs, and now we have a party which brings us back to the relationship I was talking about, the relationship between politics and religion. Now, in the United States, the relationship is supposed to work in a very specific way, legally, based on the founding fathers, the original documents, and even the legal precedents that were set in the early years of our country's history. Back then, it didn't even need to be written down. It was just understood. There was to be this separation between the two, between politics and religion between church and state. Now, that didn't mean that a politician couldn't be a religious person, or even a highly religious person. It just meant that the religious person couldn't take their unique version of that religion and politicize it. Now, this makes total sense if you use an absurd example, right? If a politician claimed that his or her religion involved worshiping snakes, and he or she wanted to enact a law that required everyone to worship snakes, we would immediately bring up the whole separation of church and state thing as the reason why this couldn't happen. Because that's absurd. However, there has been a movement since the 1970s that questions the separation. They push back, saying that it really isn't in the Constitution. They explain that our laws in our country are moral laws as they as they are. And that the only reason that these morals exist is because they're based on Christian values. And that if this separation thing you're talking about is truly there, then we wouldn't have the laws that we have. See how quickly that can turn around? See how easy it is to point to the laws about murder, stealing, and lying, and suggests that they may not be laws at all if the Christian religion hadn't had an influence on the government. And when they start throwing out examples of laws that should be passed with religious overtones or undertones, most of them aren't like worshiping snakes, right? The kind that are just in-your-face obvious. They actually sound good on some level. Some of them, they sound positive. They sound helpful for the country. And that's where we find ourselves today, Smack dab in the middle of the separation of church and state debate. Now, people have been fighting for this separation for years. There's an entire website. Just go visit au.org, um, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. And you'll see that this has always been an issue. There's always been groups of people who have who have raised the flag about separation of church and state telling us that it's important, don't forget about it. You know, it's it can be trampled on and it's just always been a thing. But it hasn't really been a public thing until recently. So let's talk importance. Why on earth is this important to any of us? Well, simply put, without separation of church and state, we open the door to a whole new form of government. It could be a fascist government. It could be an autocratic government, a theocratic government. At the end of the day, there is a strong leader, much more powerful than our current president. Laws are enacted based on that leader's personal religious beliefs. Even if they aren't the beliefs of the country, the leader typically surrounds him or herself with those who believe the same things. Laws begin to change based on their unique version of the religion. And at some point in the process, this reduces the freedoms of the majority because the majority of the country doesn't follow the leader's belief system so that the laws put in place actually restrict the majority from living in freedom. Now, I could go on and on and on about this, but I think you get the picture. In the recent past, who have we seen operate this way? Donald Trump, right? He's operated this way as a leader. Loyal followers rose to power. Uh, Those not loyal were removed and blacklisted. Work was done to stack certain parts of the government with loyal participants. Um, You can see in the Supreme Court of the United States, that's the most obvious example, which then led to major changes in laws that we thought were here to stay. Laws protecting basic human rights. And then the January 6th insurrection just shows the level of control and coercion that a group can go to uh, in order to get what they want. Now, I know this is getting political, and because of that, there's a good chance I'm triggering a percentage of my listeners, which is why I've never been a very political person and I don't enjoy talking about it. But what I just said wasn't really political. It's not because I'm a le- left leaning socialist that I'm saying these things. I'm simply describing how the last four years played out under the Trump presidency. At this point, these are historical facts. And if you can't see the trajectory, that is moving us toward a more fascist controlling theocratic government, you either have your head in the sand or you believe it's the right direction for our country. But at the end of the day, separation of church and state is the issue at hand. Are they really separate? Are we moving toward the collapse of that separation or moving away from it? Uh, Are we moving to the point where someday we might be forced to practice a religion that we aren't even a part of? Number two, our dark history. Okay, what I want to do next is to take a a quick drive through the past, all right? Let's go on a little walk or something. Because when you start to look backward, when you start to look uh, through history, you realize that separation of church and state is a very new concept, right? It's, It's a concept that was not around in the past. And because of that lack of separation of church and state, all sorts of bad things, Happened. When a king or a government begins to act on a set of uh, very rigid religious beliefs and then enforce them on their entire country, all sorts of bad things can happen. So let's start with the ancient Egyptians, right? The pharaoh was believed to be the divine connection to the gods, specifically descendants of the god Ra. And every living person in their civilization fell under that belief system. Whatever Pharaoh said, went, because he was speaking on behalf of Ra. And if this infringed on your rights as a citizen, that was just too bad. Next, we have Tibet. So, prior to 1959, the country was led by the Dalai Lama. Uh, He was considered to be the reincarnated version of the previous Dalai Lamas. And he was revered as a ruling god. Similar to Pharaoh, because he was god, people had to listen. Next, there's China the Shang and and Zhu dynasties, uh, both based on this idea that the ancestral gods chose them to be in power. The Zhu dynasty, and I'm sure I'm butchering that name because it's Z-H-O-U, the Zhu dynasty, um, used this concept of the mandate of heaven um, in order to take power. And the mandate of heaven suggested that they were chosen by a divine force. Now, These are just three in a very long list of countries and civilizations that connected their spiritual or religious beliefs to their government or their leadership within the country. In fact, this wasn't the exception. Like we said, this was typically the rule and it still exists today. Don't believe me? Here are a few modern examples. So let's talk Iran, a country based on Islamic law, right? There's a supreme leader and this person is a religious or spiritual person in the country. The Vatican. Yes, since 1929, the Vatican has actually been viewed as a country or a sovereign state. The Pope is the ruler and he has a direct connection to God. And whatever the Pope says on earth goes. Now, this is a very unique situation in the world because Vatican City isn't a massive civilization, right? It's not a country with millions of people living under the rule of the Pope. But at the same time, from his home in the Vatican, the Pope holds incredible power. He is seen as God on Earth by 1.36 billion people. That's almost 18% of the world's population. Now, to put that in perspective, there are believed to be around 2.38 billion Christians in the world, which means that out of all of the Christians in the world, close to 60% of those are Catholic. Now, that's pretty impressive. And finally, we have Saudi Arabia, another modern example of a church state. Similar to Iran, they follow Islamic law. They have a king, a prime minister, and a ruling family that all rule with absolute power. Punishment is described as being very strict for those not willing to follow the religious teachings in the country. Now, having said all that, some of these theocratic civilizations may have been okay. As a citizen, maybe you were able to kind of fly under the radar, do your own thing, believe what you wanted to believe. But unfortunately, that isn't typically what happens because in many theocracies, the beliefs of the ruling party are so important to them and they're so cultural that they become enforced and at times enforced ruthlessly or rigidly. And this is where we get the word fascism, right? Wikipedia describes fascism like this. It is a far-right, authoritarian, ultra-nationalistic political ideology and movement characterized by a dictatorial leader, centralized autocracy, militarism, forcible suppression of opposition, belief in a natural social hierarchy, subordination of individual interests for the good of the nation and race, and strong regimentation of society and the economy, that rose to the prominence in early 20th century Europe. Now, fascism does not require a religious component. For example, Mussolini was considered a fascist and yet he was not a super religious person. And then there was Hitler who was raised Catholic, but many believe that he became an atheist throughout his years. However, if you look deeper into someone like Hitler and his time in power, you see all sorts of religious rhetoric and symbolism most likely used to create his following and ensure conformity. Uh, But there was also his maniacal desire to rid the world of the Jewish people, who he believed responsible for killing God. And this is where you start to see the dangers of combining the church and the state. Things can go terribly wrong, as they did in Nazi Germany with the Holocaust. And unfortunately, this has happened over and over and over again throughout time. Remember in history, cl- in history class learning about the Crusades, right? They began back in 1095, backed by the Catholic Church. They were military efforts to reclaim land from the Islamic people, who, and they were trying to convert them back to Christianity. According to Andrew Holt, a historian who researches the Crusades, the number of people killed between 1095 and 1291 varies greatly but the, you know, the range is between like one and nine million people, which is incredible considering the world's population back then was roughly 300 million. Next, do you remember the Spanish Inquisition? Spain in the 1400s moved away from its medieval civilization to one heavily influenced by the Catholic Church. Citizens were forced to convert from Judaism and Islam to, you guessed it, Catholicism. 150,000 people were persecuted during that short period of time and between 3 and 5,000 were killed because they wouldn't convert. Not to be outdone, there was the Roman Inquisition, the Portuguese Inquisition. Are you starting to see a theme? This is dark stuff, my friends. Anytime the church and state join forces, something bad happens. And isn't it interesting that the people who left Europe looking for a new land were people being persecuted for their religious beliefs. The Church of England, which was nothing more than the Catholic Church with a shiny new name, uh, became more and more intolerant of people with differing religious views, specifically Protestants. So they left. They found America, a land where they would be free from the religio-political persecution they faced in Europe. Number three, failing to learn from the past. So, the Puritans escaped religious persecution, they moved to America to live in peace, and that's the end of the story, right? Wrong. At the end of the day, the Puritans were as rigid about their faith as the Church of England was about theirs. The Puritans simply left the persecution they faced for a land where they could be on top, and they could be the persecutors. Between 1656 and 1661 in Massachusetts, there were a group of people called the Quakers who held slightly different religious views, and they asked that they be allowed to practice their religious views in peace. However, the Puritans, who were very rigid in their set of beliefs, persecuted, killed, and banished the Quakers for their divergent thinking. How sad is that, right? Right? right here in America, in the new world, the place people fled in order to find peace and freedom. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that our founding fathers had this in the back of their mind when they were forming our official government, that they saw the problems and they addressed them with one simple concept, this little thing called separation of church and state, a brilliant concept and so different from the way that the rest of the world operated. This separation is described in the First Amendment and provides two very important protections. First is the Establishment Clause, which basically just prohibits the government from establishing a state religion, like the Church of England. And number two, the Free Exercise Clause, which protects our right to practice our own unique religious beliefs so long as they don't infringe on the rights of other citizens or threaten the sanctity of the government. So with that in place, we should be good, right? Well, for many years, we were. The government upheld this idea and the citizens seemed to be okay with it until the 1970s when things started to take a turn. So the whole Roe v. Wade thing, right, the court case in 1973, really became a turning point for this. And the Roe v. Wade court case became this rallying cry for a new wing of the Republican Party called the Religious Right. This group used abortion as that rallying cry. However, according to an article by Politico.com, this was just the public rallying cry. They were also very interested in maintaining the segregation in schools, among other things. Uh, This led to the formation of the Moral Majority in 1979 led by Jerry Falwell, an organization that really took the concepts of the religious right and pushed them in mainstream Christianity. So millions and millions of people in mainstream Christianity were encouraged to get involved in politics, largely through this pro-life rallying cry. Now the interesting thing with abortion is that the Supreme Court in 1973 was mainly Republican. There were nine seats on the Supreme Court, three were appointed by Democrats, and six by Republicans. So it was a conservative Republican-dominated court at the time, and they legalized abortion. Fast forward to today, and look how far we've come. The Republican Party was able to stack the Supreme Court during the Trump presidency, and what did they do? Immediately overturned Roe v. Wade. So what's going on here? Why would the Republicans legalize it and then change their minds and overturn it? Well, my extremely novice explanation is this. Between 1973 and today, there has been a movement afoot. A movement started by the religious right and the moral majority, and one that has picked up steam over the years. And though the names of the organizations have changed to things like the Christian Coalition or Turning Point USA, It's still there and it has grown in intensity. Today, Donald Trump has somehow managed to become the talking head, the fearless leader, right? The one who can do no wrong. And there is this large segment of the Republican party that has attached their train car to the Trump train. And not just in politics, right? Numerous fringe groups around the country have jumped on the Trump train. Anti-segregationalists, militias, anti-government militias, militias who just love guns, and America, you name it, all have joined this new movement. And then, there is the massive evangelical Christian population in this country, a population that is literally under attack by this movement. Don't believe me? Take some time to look through the website for the Christian Coalition, or Turning Point USA. These organizations are laser-focused on getting mainstream Christian pastors to join their movement. Now, why would they attack pastors? Because they know that if they can convince a pastor or a minister, they've just added an entire congregation of voters to the movement because people trust the person leading them. All that to say, this movement is picking up steam, so much steam that they're no longer hiding what used to be a hidden agenda, which is Christian nationalism. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe this has always been an underlying desire, even back in the days of the religious right and a moral majority. But they would never call it that. They would never say we are moving toward Christian nationalism. They would dumb it down. They would spin it. They would use other words so that it sounded healthy and necessary and good for our country. But today, there's no dumbing it down. Marjorie Taylor Greene has no problem connecting the dots. Lauren Boebert has no problem connecting the dots. And there are a growing number of Trump backed political leaders running for office, hoping to join them this fall. Now throw in organizations like Turning Point USA and a growing number of highly vocal pastors in the country. And you see the handwriting on the wall. This is the war that's going on in this country, a war for our minds. This movement is working tirelessly, relentlessly to convince people that this is the only way. We have to do this to save our country, to save our way of life. And this is where we need to be slapped in the face. We need someone to slap us and say, wake up, look around you. Can't you see what's going on? Can't you see that we're repeating a very dangerous cycle? One that has never worked before. One that only leads to persecution, death. And the eventual collapse of that organization or civilization. Friends, we're failing miserably. What does every good history teacher tell you on the first day of class? It's usually a quote that's attributed to George Santayana or Winston Churchill, but it goes like this. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Sound familiar? those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that's exactly where we're headed. The intent of Christian nationalists is to remove the entire idea of separation of church and state. With that out of the way, they will be free to make the government into their own image, changing laws, removing laws, adding laws that basically match their unique set of religious beliefs. Now, are these the beliefs of the entire country? No, of course not, that's the problem. These beliefs are a highly specific set of beliefs that a very small group of people in power hold. And so that belief system, that religious bent will be enacted as laws that will then impact an entire country of people who largely don't believe those beliefs. Okay, here's a fun fact. Do you know the religious beliefs, the religious background of some of the newest members of the Supreme Court? Would it shock you to know that the three nominated by Donald Trump are Catholic? Neil Gersuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Knowing that, is it a shock that Roe v. Wade was overturned? The Catholic Church has historically been against abortion, birth control, things like that. So these justices are simply enacting laws that are in line with their religious beliefs. Nothing wrong with that, right? Wait. Yes, there is something wrong with that. It's called separation of church and state. That's my point. This is the slippery slope we're on, headed back to repeat history. Do you find it odd that the Puritans left England to get away from religious persecution that was backed by the Catholic Church, and now we're coming full circle by accepting it back into our political system, actually giving it power in the Supreme Court to guide us into the future? fascinating, but maybe it's just me. Let's land the plane. So we've got to get this wrapped up or we'll be on this episode for three hours. Um, Like I said at the beginning, this episode will seem a little bit off because compared to the others in this series, it didn't spend a lot of time talking about the concept of deconstruction. But this is so important because people in the deconstruction process these days aren't just deconstructing some simple religious system that they grew up with. They are deconstructing their entire worldview at least this is my belief. And this worldview is complicated by the, re- the culture, the religion, and the politics that we find ourselves in since the pandemic, since the 2020 election cycle. So just keep this content in mind as we progress through the series. Next week, we dive into part four, the stages of deconstruction, and I'm sure that I'll pull in some of this content um, and it'll be helpful as we walk through the actual things that we're deconstructing. So here are some very simple questions that you can ask yourself this week as you digest this content. First, have you ever even thought about separation of church and state? Where it came from? Why it exists? Why it could be one of the most important things that our founding fathers included in the formation of our country? Number two, have you ever stopped to think about our dark past? How so many of the atrocities in the past were based on a religious institution or a church-state combination, forcing their version of the truth on everyone else, sometimes killing them if they wouldn't convert to that way of thinking? And finally, do you see the cycle repeating? Can you see how Christian nationalism is nothing more than a revived church-state setup, a religion-based government that controls the rights of its people based on the beliefs of a very small group of people? Okay, I think we'll leave it there for now. But let me just say, this episode has been exhausting for me. Um, Like I said, I've never been a political person. I don't think I even started voting until um, I was out of college, like way past the the years when I could have started voting. I've just tried to stay out of it. For so many years, um, I just felt like it was always this political back and forth between the Republicans and the Democrats, but it was just basic ideology. It was like a pendulum. It just went back and forth, back and forth, but nothing ever changed. They were all the same. It was just politics as usual. But I think it's fair to say that things have changed. It's no longer a two political party system just arguing about how we spend our money. It's so much bigger than that. Uh, And you can't help but wonder how fragile our way of life is at this point in time because of it. Anyways, uh, until next time, everyone, um, have a great week, and as always, keep transcending human.